This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the morning run continues and it's now time for the S&M show. The show where we rant about what's working, what's not in stocks and markets. I'm Sharad Kutten and with me Julian Ng and our guest Jeremy Figgins, author of King of Coal, a Jem Putanto novel. That's a hot potato of a novel. <laughs> uh, one uh... that is actually fictional. And I'm wondering why Mr. Figgins is even here on the yeah. S&M show. Well, just um, to add on to our topic today, which is um, investing in Indonesia. And of course, this is a show that always tries to look behind the scene and to ask the question of whether we have to take account of any nodes or pitfalls, as the case may be of investing in any country, especially an emerging market like Indonesia or other emerging markets in um, in Southeast Asia. So welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Julian. Good morning, everybody. And uh, just uh, give us a bit of background about yourself and why you wrote this book and actually what the book is about. Sure. I've, I've been in Southeast Asia for over 30 years in banking and in commerce, uh, working in Malaysia, in Indonesia, Hong Kong, uh, and in Singapore. And I love telling stories. I always have done. And this was a great opportunity for me to tell a story I thought people would be interested in. And judging by the feedback so far, five stars on Amazon. Um, Excellent. And, uh, yeah, it's doing well. So this book is um, called uh, The King of Coal and is about a bankrupt truck driver who, according to the review and the write-up in Amazon, who uses his family connections, guile, cunning and ruthlessness to uh, get his way into the top echelons of uh, Indonesia. What can you tell about how um, your experiences shaped this book? First and foremost, let me make it clear, this is a fictional, fictional <laughs> yes, story and, and, and aimed to be a great read, so it's not based on any particular person at all. Um, I think corruption in, in Southeast Asia is an issue that all, all investors worry about. Um, when, I, when I was in banking, uh, people would come up to uh, me and say, we want to invest in this country or that country, and how do we deal with corruption? Uh, there's no doubt about it. People do get rich through corruption, and it's very clear to see that those countries that are the most corrupt, you also have the biggest poverty going around. So corruption, for me, equals poverty. And that's one of the one of the things that comes out of this novel. It's just not a good thing to be promoting. Mm-hmm. But it's also a story about how corruption and your ability to negotiate uh, such practices can facilitate great wealth for the individual, isn't it? For the individual, absolutely. Um, so if, if if you want to go down that route, definitely, you you if you're lucky enough and fortunate enough, you can make a lot of money. But things follow um, once you get involved in in illegal activities; they will never leave you. You can never get away from from you know the dirt that goes with corruption. So, I would say to everybody, stay away from it. But unfortunately, uh, in the countries we're dealing with, it's not always possible to stay away from it. Why did you cite it in Indonesia of all the countries that you've worked in? I mean, there's Hong Kong. Hong Kong has uh, a lot of great stories. Uh, Malaysia. We also have our great stories. You could create little composites mm-hmm. of characters. You know. All kinds of strategies. Why Indonesia? Is it what's special about Indonesia that makes it I, a good I, kind of maison scène for uh, this story? I don't think for a second that uh, Southeast Asia or Asia has a monopoly on corruption. Um, I, I can tell you a story of um, one of the European Chambers of Commerce putting out a, a website for um, evaluation. People were giving their quotes, and the quote was due in on whatever day it was, a Tuesday. On the Monday evening before the quote was due to be opened and, and, and awarded, then uh, 
the uh, head of the Chamber of Commerce stood up with his friend from, from Hong Kong and said, this is the man who's going to be doing the website. So, <laughs> so for me, it's not, uh, it, we, it's not these countries that have a monopoly on corruption. It just, Indonesia is a country I love and have a lot of respect for, and uh, I could write the novel about the country. So from an investment viewpoint, do you think that uh, Indonesia stands out or any other country can stand out because of what they're doing or what they're not doing about corruption? I mean, um, James Hay, for example, who is a regular guest on this show and who is your friend, uh, rants and raves about how much he loves Malaysia and Indonesia for that great middle class that's coming up that's going to drive uh, profitability for many countries. So how do you reconcile uh, corrupt practices and investment appeal? If you're, if you're investing in a country where you're concerned about corruption, I, I, you have to look at your partners down there, who you're dealing with, who you're doing the business with. If you want to go into, let's say specifically Indonesia, if you want to go down there, there are rules and regulations to follow. As a foreigner, if you do not follow those rules and regulations to the letter, you're going to have a problem. Um, and a lot of foreigners come into the country thinking, oh, I can shortcut this, I can shortcut that, and think they can then go and pay their way through the system and it doesn't work like that. Uh, they, they fall foul of, of laws and then they scream because people are, are, are calling them for illegal activities. So I think a lot, of, a lot of the feedback we get from foreigners is caused by their own stupidity, might be the right word. They go into the country without thinking about it, without knowing the partners, without understanding the culture, and they make no effort to understand the culture or the language. There is also the other argument that a lot of uh, these international companies put forward, which is that sticking to the rules actually uh, raises their costs, right? And uh, to that end, uh, we see headlines of international companies from France and from the United States being investigated and prosecuted by their own governments, uh, you know, for corrupt practices. And uh, if Boeing or Airbus did not do something about uh, raising their attractiveness of selling planes over there, for example, and I'm just quoting random mm, examples sure. out of my head, they might lose out. So do we have to kind of bridge the two worlds? If you want to do business, sometimes you have to bridge those two worlds. I mean, the, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act in the USA, I think, is a, is a terrific act. It's, it's making people think twice before they're prepared to pay extra to get something done that somebody's supposed to do. Um, and it's having an impact around the world. The UK has a similar um, uh, uh, law that's come out. People are thinking twice before they, they're prepared to make these payments. And indeed, it now is going further, the people getting worried about, should my partner that I'm involved with, should he be the one who's facilitating things to happen? So the pressure from overseas to stop Corruption at its source is is, is great, um, but as I said, if you're going into a country, sometimes it's best to find a partner. You choose the partner and work with them. You know, you've been here thirty years, so you've seen quite dramatic changes in the region, and specifically in Indonesia. We saw the end of the Suharto era, the end of New Order, and then, of course, a you know a, a decade or more with a lot of traditional politicians taking power, and then uh, Mr. Joko Widodo, who is supposed to be making a clean break from the 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 remnants, the residue of the old order. Uh, how do you see that changing the investment and business landscape of Indonesia? And, or, is, or is that just hype? Oh, it's not just hype. He's definitely making efforts. His, his um, laws down there have been changing to make it quicker to come in. Indonesia's moved from, I think, it's 115 on the list of hard countries to invest in down to 91. So definitely they're improving. 
things like electricity connections are quicker and Jakarta and Surabaya. All that. So he's definitely making a difference. The, the problem is you have endemic, I'll use the word corruption, facilitation payments going right the way through the system, uh, right the way down to Clark sitting at desks. And to get rid of that endemic problem, it doesn't, you can't happen overnight. People's incomes are affected, families are affected. The way people are doing business is affected. People have to get used to the new system and it, it, it's not going to happen overnight. It, it takes time and Jocko Wee and people like him are finding ways to change the system. But it, you can't snap your finger and hope for it overnight. So going back to the book and uh, going back to Indonesia, can you, at the risk of spoilers, can you just tell us uh, some of, perhaps some of the gems uh, that come out of your book? <laughs> gems, gems, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, he starts off in a business meeting with a uh, with a gun pointed at him, um, and uh, get, anyway, he finds these people are not going to shoot him on the spot, so he decides then to uh, find his own protection and uh, gets these characters chased out of the room. Uh, that's the stage at which he's already obviously made a lot of money. Uh, it, the book traces back through his history of, of bankruptcy, um, how he cons people out of companies uh, using karaoke bars and fake drinks and so on and so on. So um, he, he smashes up bridges on the way, kills people on the way, um, and generally has a, a good time, I should say. But uh, things come and bite you in the back, and the book says that at the end, things do come and bite him in the back. He, um, he has a lot of unfortunate events, and it makes him rethink his whole life. Hmm. Sounds like an interesting read. Well, it sounds very much like a book I've just read called The, the Rise and Fall of the House of Bo, which is about the Bo Zilai, the, the Chinese Communist Party princeling who had the spectacular rise. You know, I mean, he, using kind of Maoist rhetoric, he also was a very astute businessman, had all these arrangements, and it all ended up in murder and now, of course, uh, in a prison sentence. But um, is that something you see replicated across Asia? So you have this in Indonesia. It's not really necessarily about Indonesia. We have China and China's story of corruption as well. All these countries we're talking about are, are people worry about corruption. Um, and I said, this, this book is a fiction, so it's not based on any <laughs> particular person. I'll keep hammering that point. Um, for me, corruption is something people have to get rid of. Um, and everybody knows that. So um, that's the, the book says, yes, you get, in, you get involved in it. You can't get rid of it. Um, in this case, he, he doesn't finish up with a prison sentence, but he does finish up with a, a life-changing attitude, which will come into the second book, which is going to be set in Malaysia. Ooh, that's a spoiler <laughs> if, if there was one. <laughs> You're listening to Jeremy Figgins, author of King of Coal, a novel set in Indonesia. This is because the stocks and market show, the S&M show, as we like to call it, uh, Julian Nung and myself, sure, because we'll be right back, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the SNM show continues with our guest Jeremy Figgins, author of King of Coal, a novel set in Indonesia. And we've been talking about the theme of corruption. I'm sure I'd in with me, Julian Ong. Where do we go to next, Julian? So uh, it's interesting. Uh, the title of this book is King of Coal. Uh, and of course, Indonesia is very resource dependent. In fact, uh, a big chunk of the economy is based on making money out of selling resources. Now, do you think that the uh, and and also to mention a bit about your background, you help list this company called Straits Asia. Um, and for a while, I believe you were working with them as yep, well. Correct. As, I as spent a coal, about ten years with them. Yep. It's a it's a big Indonesian coal company. Do you think that uh, the resource industries are more predisposed to corruption than other industries? 
Well, the particular example you're using, Straits Asia, it was, it was a foreign-owned company and they had a particular structure down in Indonesia which people kept challenging or asking to challenge. But the government throughout stood by the structure and allowed it to keep in place um, and this particular company was vastly majority owned, up to 100% owned by foreigners. Uh, raised everybody's eyebrows, how did he do that? But there was a law and a window that allowed it to happen and the government stood by that, that regulation. So as I said earlier in the show, it's, it's a question of if you know what you're doing, you do it by the right way, you will not have a problem. It's only when you move outside the law that you put yourself at risk. Um, does the, the resource sector have a particular problem? Well, it is the largest in, in, in sector in, in, the, in the economy. So without a doubt, where the money is is where the people will be attracted. And so many licenses are needed to operate a, a rubber plantation, a palm oil plantation, a coal mine, every other mine you can think of is, is running in Indonesia, gold mines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, corruption happens. I mean, some of the things I've seen in gold mines um, in in Indonesia and other countries is just absolutely horrifying. Children being used to work down in mines like in you know, the 1700s in Europe, just terrifying. And, you know, in this uh, transition of uh, Indonesia's economy, on the back of the poor prices of commodities over the last few years, will force a lot of such economies to diversify. I mean, Malaysia, which was so dependent on oil revenues in the past, now f- being forced to uh, look at other things, uh, does this make a difference for Indonesia in, in that it lowers the bargaining power of, let's say, uh, corrupt commodity companies and uh, just put the spotlight on other industries? Uh, do you think Indonesia would change for the better? I think Indonesia is already changing for the better. So things are happening irrespective of, of commodity prices or changes of industrial investment or um, whatever the, the drivers are. Corruption is attracted by money um, and the, the aim of, of, of paying bribes, of, of paying people to do things they should otherwise be doing voluntarily um, is, 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 is all aimed to make money for a particular person. But people forget. When you sell your vote, for instance, people do that. Uh, they're forgetting if I sell my vote for $1, the politician who's paid me is going to get $10 back. So I'm going to be $9 poorer as a result of that. So... Um, investments in, in the country, I don't think it necessarily depends on the resources sector being the number one or any other. It's a question of attitude and um, where the money lies. I, I'm just thinking about it uh, from the investment viewpoint because I know that uh, in the past Indonesia has been a country that is uh, quite highly valued by investors. Uh, they attract very attractive PE valuations, uh, maybe not as high as Malaysia. Uh, but do you think that there is uh, this, this kind of practices drive the kind of discount or risk premium that uh, in international investors place on emerging markets compared to developed markets? And whether in your opinion as an investor, an experienced investor, that counts for something and uh, that, w- that will drive you to look more at developed markets rather than emerging markets? There's two kind of investments, Julian, to think about here. One, one is the direct investment into a business that you want to own slash operate yourself, and the other one is, of course, a stock market type of investment. For me, the stock market investors tend to come and go with, with as sheep almost. Um, Indonesia is the flavour of the day, as it was for a, a number of years, and, and people flock in. Suddenly, the risks of Indonesia are completely ignored, um, and then one of the risks becomes 
apparent again, whether it's um, unrest or whatever it might be. So people then exit the country um, en masse. As a, as a hard investor in, into a business that, that you want to run down there, um, I don't think anything changes your attitude. You take a, Do you think Indonesia, do you think Malaysia, do you think whichever country you're investing in is going to be there in 10 or 15 years' time? If you don't, if you think something so terrible is going to happen, it'll disappear, then you shouldn't be in that country. Are you a stock picker, Jeremy? Um, and I'm just wondering whether you have a preference of developed market stocks over emerging market stocks. I, I'm an incredibly cautious person. As a, right. as a banker, I was extremely aware that if I invested in companies uh, on stock markets, I probably would could be deemed to have some inside information because I was talking with so many people in so many companies. So it, it was dangerous. Uh, Mr. Figgins, did you have some meetings with the finance director of ABC? And yes, I did. Well, did he tell you anything about his financing? Yes, he did. Well, and then you bought the stock. Yes, I did. But it was only as a, a portfolio. No, sorry, that you might have had inside information. So I'm very cautious. I'm not a stock picker. So you you invest into funds then? Okay. I invest into funds. Yeah. And, uh, and do you have a preference of um, development market funds over emerging market funds because of your knowledge? I like emerging markets. I always have done. I. I like to think I understand them, so they don't frighten me. Um, but as I said, trends come and go. So if even though you may like an emerging market, you can see investors are going to run away from it, then there's no point in putting your money there if it's short term. If you're looking at long term investments and a long term portfolio, um, there are funds out there that you can invest in, like Bangola, we mentioned James earlier, um, who who do that. They, they take a long-term view that they're really backing the people who've got that hard business, that hard investment in the country, not just going, going with the flow. Is your writing style cautious or are you, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what can we expect from a kind of literary point of view from your novel in terms of your prose? Definitely not, definitely not <laughs> cautious. Um, as I said, people are enjoying this novel. It's, I wouldn't describe it as racy in terms of uh, content, but uh, it's exciting. Yep. And also, um, just taking the attention back onto Indonesia and Jokowi, um, he recently implemented the Indonesian tax amnesty and along with uh, um, India's efforts to stamp out corruption as well, they um, implemented the demonetization to take out the 501,000 rupees off uh, the streets. I don't know how that worked out. I hear it didn't work out very well. Um, But again, you know, going back to the idea of corruption, what does this tell us about how much money there is stashed in you know, foreign lands uh, and tax havens and depriving the local economies yeah. of the staff of, of the funds. It's exactly what you're saying, Julian. Everybody who's taken money out of the country is just making other people in the country poorer, which is why corruption is such a uh, such an issue at the moment. People are beginning to realise just how poor it's making some people and how rich it's making others. But so it, you agree with these policies like uh, tax amnesties and, uh, you know, I think uh, Indonesia or was it Thailand also proposed uh, um, death, re- the re- death sentence, oh, death sentence for, cor- yeah. for corruption? I think yeah. Indonesia uh, proposed recently that they might uh, re-denominate uh, their currency, right? They're going to take out zeros. I think that was one of those stories in the news mm. recently. Well. Re- removing the zeros will certainly make it easier for me to add up the numbers when I'm buying something there, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, look, I, for me, it's, it's, it's a question of attitudes changing. Um, another example, not Indonesia, another country. A girl I know was in the accounts department and got promoted um, from manager to senior manager, something like that. And she went to thank her boss. 
didn't say thank you for the salary rise. She said thank you because now I get a bigger share of the supplier's feedbacks. Wow. Okay. And she was unashamed. She, was, she absolutely said that to her boss. Amazing. But that's the way it eats into society. That money has been taken away from everybody in that company and been shared amongst a few people within. But it's expected. If you want to change it, it's, it's, it's got to go right through the system. Do you expect this novel to be translated into Indonesia and have uh, some sort of ripple effect in, in Indonesian society? Are you getting good feedback from Indonesian reviewers? I haven't had a hard sell, uh, in, a hard, hard introduction in, in Indonesia yet. Um, I'm working on getting it down there. I hope it would be translated. And I'm hoping also someone might want to make it into a film. Oh, excellent. <laughs> you can just sell I'm, the movie rights. I'm looking forward to the sequel as well, which is on about, uh, which is based in Malaysia. Yeah, it's called Damn Energy. Oh, nice. <laughs> give, you, give you a clue as to what it might be about. <laughs> perhaps? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> Okay, you've been listening to uh, Jeremy Figgins, uh, the author of King of Coal, uh, a story that's set in Indonesia about a fictional, uh, uh, it's a fictional account rather, of a truck driver who, through uh, family connections in Gaal, cons his way and murders his way to being one of the richest and most powerful men in the country. Sounds like a great premise for... It's available uh, on Amazon if you're interested to get a copy. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights also into the equities and bond market and and business in general in Indonesia. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to the SNM Show, uh, Julian Ng and myself, Sharad Kutin. Uh, and this is uh, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.